Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Mid-Market Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Nico, and I'm a partner in the Private Equity and M&A Group at Steichmanelli. For today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Ray Jingra. Ray is the president and founder of Coldwater Corporate Finance. Ray, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mario. Ray, I always start by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves. I'm going to be honest with you. Know a little bit about your history. It's super interesting because you used to be a lawyer and now you're a deal guy. And then love to learn a little bit more about Coldwater Corporate Finance. I know Coldwater really is focused on the sell side and works a lot with owner operators helping them sell their businesses for middle market companies. So love to hear your perspective on the market. But let's start first a little bit about you and a little bit about Coldwater. Yeah, well, I started my schooling back in Sudbury, where I grew up, and I went to Laurentian University and did an economics degree and realized that the job market wasn't that good for someone graduating with just an honors degree in economics. So I moved to Ottawa and went to business school. And during that time, I got a part-time job with a law firm, and that's what sort of turned me on to law. I figured that was something that looked fun. You know, you're always in front of a new challenge, and I set my mind to getting into law school. So I worked really hard during my business degree and managed to get into law at University of Ottawa. And during that time, I got a job at EDC, Export Development Canada. That was a real game changer for me because I just fell in love with what I was doing there. EDC, for those of you who don't know, is like a big bank and an insurance company sort of rolled into one. And so I was there originally as a banker. We were lending money to different projects around the world. These were large deals. For example, we loaned probably $50 million to the Three Gorges Dam in China. We were doing these large projects. And at the same time, I was completing my law degree. So I got that taste of the lending side of these larger project financings and structured financing, and then also M&A deals. And then when I finished my law degree, I moved to the legal department at EDC and practiced corporate law there, where I was doing the same type of deals, but from the legal side. And so I fell in love with all of those large deals and the excitement of working on these international transactions with bankers all over the world. You obviously, from there, went to creating your own firm that you're the owner of that focuses on sell-side mandates for owner-operators helping them sell their business. How'd you get from there to Cold War? Yeah, so when I was at EDC, I knew that I always wanted to be a business owner, but I didn't know what that business was going to be. But I always had that bug inside of me to do something on my own. And I actually met someone at Whistler. We were skiing together and he was starting an M&A firm that was based in Barbados. Within about a year, I joined him and that was 2007 just before the global financial crisis. So the timing couldn't have been worse, but it all worked out in the end. But before that, we were starting to do more mergers and acquisitions deals at EDC, where EDC either on its own or with another syndicate of banks would be lending money to Canadian companies to make acquisitions abroad. So I got interested in M&A on these larger deals and then jumped ship, moved to the Caribbean, sort of splitting my time between the Caribbean and Toronto working on more of sort of the mid-market deals in the Caribbean as well as in Latin America. And it was safer swim there because we were a small shop and we were having a lot of fun, but the global financial crisis hit and put the brakes on a lot of activity, as I'm sure you recall. 
What I find fascinating about your work at Coldwater, obviously you are out there all the time talking to owner operators, you're in front of them, encouraging them, helping them, supporting them. I mean, I want to get your perspective, both from a market perspective in terms of what you're seeing. Unlike some other sell-side advisors, you don't have a natural client base. You got to go knock on every door to bring in a file. You got to be in front of these people. So I guess the first question is, given that you're out there literally every day, what are you seeing on the ground? What is your take on the current environment from an owner-operator perspective, given war, inflation, and interest rates and all? Because I know you're busy. So, you know, people are still engaging you. So I'd love to get your perspective on what you're seeing on the ground. Well, I guess when I left the firm in the Caribbean, as a lawyer, you're trying to review documents. As a corporate lawyer, there's a certain mindset. And at EDC, I didn't need to go find clients. And so I learned very, very quickly how to go out there, pound the pavement, and build relationships. And that took years. And so when I left the Caribbean, it was a slow start, but it really worked out well. As you and I work on a lot of deals together, so we've gotten quite busy, especially over the last five years. But I always sort of joke around with my clients that I like to take that large deal experience and bring that to the lower middle market, which is where I target. And the other thing I have in common with my clients is that I started my own business as well, and most of them have. And so I know the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that and can relate to them on many of those fronts. So when I'm pounding the pavement and when I get in front of a business owner, they tend to have three questions. And the first is, what is my business worth? Second is, how much is the government going to take if I sell my business? And the third is, how much are you going to cost me? If they don't ask you those questions outright, it's certainly on their minds. And so we can spend a day on answering each one of those questions, but they tend to want to know what it is they're sitting on because they often don't know. They've met with people over the years who might have been involved in mergers and acquisitions who have given them a multiple of whatever that multiple may be of EBITDA. And that's all the real data they have on what that business potentially is worth. And so we're there to dig deep, look at the business from top to bottom and try to give them a really good idea of what the market will pay for that business. Because as you know, that's the best indicator of what we can expect to get from that particular business and enterprise value. And so far as activity, I'm not seeing a slowdown. We're not seeing a slowdown at cold water. We're busier than ever. And, you know, you'll read in the newspapers that large cap deals in Canada have slowed down. I don't know about you, Murray, but it's not hitting us in the lower middle market. And lower middle market for us means the companies, we target companies with EBITDA between one and a half and $10 million. And so most of our clients are in the two to five million in EBITDA, and we're just not seeing it slow down. And nor are we seeing interest rates have a real big impact on purchase price at that level. I'm kind of fascinated by this point because like you, I remember 07, 08, when frankly, everybody went to the sideline, including owner operators. Everybody said, you know what, I'm just going to wait it out. Yet in this market, even with interest rates going up, I'm finding owners still interested in selling, still out there looking for a potential buyer. And even though things you know, might be from a macro point of view, flat or you know, not necessarily positive, they're not afraid. They kind of seem to be realistic and willing to go for it, even though it's not the best market. And I want to get your sense of why we're seeing it. I remember 07, 08, everybody said, I'll wait till this is all over with. And they're not today. They're kind of still pushing forward and saying, I'm willing to test the market. I'm willing to go out there and see if I can find a buyer. 
I'm seeing the same thing, Mario. And the reason for that, I believe, is they've been bitten twice. They were bitten in 2008, and then they were bitten again in 2020. And they realized that, hey, anything can happen in today's environment. So I want to do this, and I want to do this now. Even though it may not be the best time, or it may be the best time, but it's time to do it. And I think those two events have really taken the doubt away from many business owners about waiting for the exact right time to do something like that is what I feel. You know, one of the things obviously drove the market in 20 and 21 was these kind of valuation expectations that went through the roof. What are you seeing from an owner-operator perspective on valuation? Is there a new reasonableness that set in? Are you still seeing a kind of people obviously there's a disconnect? There's been a disconnect for years, expectations between an owner, a seller, and a buyer. I mean, I want to get your sense of what you're seeing out there from a valuation perspective. Well, it's funny because we had two deals that were one week away from closing when the world shut down in March of 2020. Both of those companies I subsequently sold for a higher price than what we were about to close them for pre-COVID. And the reason for that was during COVID, there was a very fickle buyer marketplace out there. Companies whose EBITDA went up or whose revenues went up were seen as pandemic proof. Companies whose revenues went down even slightly and whose EBITDA went down, people avoided like the plague, even though they might have been really good companies. And so during COVID, we were fortunate to have a bunch of companies that thrived during COVID. Their margins went up, their revenues went up, and that drove up multiples for us. We were getting really good multiples during the pandemic. And then post-pandemic, once interest rates hit higher levels at the end of December, early this year, again, we didn't see that immediate impact, and I'm not sure we will. And the reason for that, I think, the interest rates have a bit of a more serious effect on the returns. With the smaller deals, strategics will look at it as a long-term play, and they have a much longer investment horizon. They have those synergies to gain. So they don't care. And the market believes that the interest rates will go down in a couple of years. Financials have to respond to how strategics are valuing these opportunities. And so even though the cost of funds has gone up a little bit, it's just not impacting what a financial needs to pay to be competitive with a strategic. And so at Coldwater, one of the things we've always done was we beat the bushes really hard to find strategic buyers. And it's a lot of work because with a company that has, for example, $2 million in EBITDA, you got to get on the phone with the president or the CFO or the corporate development officer of a company that may have 50 or $100 million in EBITDA. And you are trying to convince them to buy your client that's sitting in Toronto and why there's a strategic rationale for them to do that. And so it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, but it's worth it because it helps us just do a much better search and get much better results for our clients. Sometimes a strategic isn't always the best option and a financial is. A strategic, you always run the risk that if they're a smaller company, they don't do M&A deals all the time. You might have somebody that's just not used to the process, delays the process considerably, even though they've offered a really good multiple, it may take a while to get the deal done and it may cost a lot more to get the deal done. Whereas financials, it's a much better bet that they know what they're doing and the deal will close in a timely manner and the people that are behind the desk underwriting the deal will have done it so many times that they can do it in their sleep. So it just leads to a faster deal 
And so there's pros and cons to those strategics versus financials. Ray, I worked with you over the years, seeing how you convince these owners to go on these processes and you support them. And I don't want you to give up the secret sauce, but I have to ask you this question. I mean, I know you worked with a variety of different industries, different businesses. What do you find as being the, the most challenging part of getting them to sell? You've seen your share of owners of all types and all kinds. Well, there's a few different parts to that, Mario, because usually when I'm in front of a business owner for the first time, they've expressed a desire. So they're exploring the process. There's something telling them that they want to learn more about it. So there's at least an openness to selling the company. One of the first things we do is we'll spend a lot of time, we'll sometimes spend a few weeks before we sign an engagement because we want to make sure it's the right fit. And part of that means making sure that the owner's expectations on value are realistic. And so if we cross that bridge and we see that, you know, we believe that we can get X for the company and the owner's expectations are in line with that, we move to the next step. But during this process, the owner still is not 100% convinced that they're going to sell the company. And that's one thing I've always noticed almost in every deal. We're going along in the process and we've got, you know, a couple months of prep work to do. We're building financial models. We're building marketing materials. We build an outreach list. We go out there and we sign a bunch of letters of intent. And even then, the buyer has their doubts that the process is going to happen. And then after due diligence is done, after you've signed the letter of intent, usually at that point, a light goes off. And the buyer says, my God, this is really going to happen. And that's when you see an emotional reaction in them because they've spent more time there than they've spent with their families. They've spent more time there than their spouse. It's what they talk about at cocktail parties. It defines who they are. And now you're asking them to part with it. And so it's very emotional. And that usually happens in that last month or two prior to the deal closing. And so that's when they really realize that this is happening. And my God, I better get prepared. Before we go, I always ask our guests the crystal ball question, wanting to get their perspective on where they see the market going. We've talked a bit already about the fact that things are still active, still a lot going on in the marketplace. We want to get your sense of what you're seeing for the next 6, 12, 18 months. Where do you see this market going? Clearly, we're both busy. Curious if you see this continuing, you know, any signals, any indications, your perspective on where this market's going. From a macro level, and you look at all these economic indicators and you watch the news every day, you're watching Bloomberg or you're watching CNN, Mario, it's doom and gloom. Okay. So I try to tune out from all of that and I try to take a realistic view of where we're at. I believe monetary policy will have the desired effect. I believe interest rates are going to start coming down in six to 12 months. And I believe we're going to have a mild economic downturn and we will have avoided a recession. That's what I think is going to happen. Regardless of whether or not that happens, I just don't see the impact on the lower middle market where we operate to be significant in either case. I believe we're going to continue to have sellers that want to sell and we're going to continue to have buyers that are willing to make those purchases at what we feel are fair values because, again, they've been through too much in the last few years to wait for the perfect time to make an acquisition or to sell their companies. And so my hope is that it's going to be business as usual for that lower to middle market for the foreseeable future, at least for the medium term. 
Well, listen, this is good news for me, Ray. If you're busy, I'm busy. So I'm happy when I hear the deal guys tell me that they got deal flow or the pipeline's good because that means you need a lawyer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and a bit about cold water and also your work with owner operators and appreciate your years of service and sharing with us your experience. Well, thank you for having me, Mario. It's been a pleasure. Take care.